This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church podcast experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. All right, we are so glad that you are joining us here today at Dominion Church. We're so thankful that you're a part of what we're doing. If you're watching us on our Facebook live stream, thank you so much for that. Maybe you're watching us on our YouTube channel at Dominion Church SC. Do us a favor, like that video and subscribe so that whenever we post a new session, a new message, you can automatically get notified for that. Or maybe you're listening on our podcast experience, the Dominion Church podcast experience. Do us a favor, like that, share it, and leave a five-star review. And again, that helps us get in front of more people. So we are deep. I mean, we're like, I guess we're waist deep now in this series called It's Time to Dance. It's Time to Dance. And this is session four, and it's called The Power of the Dance. So I'm gonna do a quick recap. I'm gonna do a three minute recap of the last three weeks. So you're gonna have to hold on. So in the first session, we talked about the relationship. And, and when we look at that, the foundation of this series is on this symbol, this patristic symbol, and there's a word associated with it called perichoresis. Perichoresis is where we get the modern words for peri, perimeter, choresis, choreography. You put it together, it's the perimeter of the dance. It's the parameters of the choreography. So the early fathers of the faith recognized the relationship of God as a divine dance. A divine dance between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's beautiful though about this proposition is that there's also an invitation built into the dance. There's a place for you within the dance. We also looked at Abraham. Abraham had this desire. He wanted to provide a feast for God when he was visited, but he would not include himself in the feast. And I have found that that continues to this day most often, is that we want to see God satisfied and pleased, but when God says, why don't you join me in this feast? We're not sure we belong at the table. Nothing could be further from the truth. In session two, we talked about being wanted. And that's really where we opened up this idea that there's a place for you in the dance. And again, I can't go back into all of it. I hope you guys have had the chance to go and look at that icon that we talked about. We, we had it up on the screen during that session. It's an icon called the Trinity. It's also called Abraham's Hospitality by, by Andre Rublev. And what's beautiful about this image is you see Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and a gap in between. And in the gap, the Holy Spirit is pointing, pointing to a space that's empty. In other words, showing you there's an invitation. Why aren't you sitting at the table with us? Now, there's debates on this, uh, this, this icon because they found trace elements of what was like glue, some type of a glue residue at that spot. And there are many experts that believe that Andre put a mirror right there in that space. 
so that when you beheld the relationship of God, when you beheld that perichoresis, that you would behold a mirror in that empty space. So everyone that looked at it saw that they were invited to the party. You know, there's an interesting story about that icon. There was a, a famous artist, I can't remember his name, that saw this icon, looked at it for a long time. And when he walked away, was overcome by emotion. And someone asked him, why are you so overcome by emotion? And this was his answer. He said, if this is what God is like, then I am a Christian. <laughs> Isn't that something? How many times have people come into our space, into our world, and they're so overcome by the ecstasy of our relationship with God that it becomes its own gospel for them? Wow, you carry so much joy. You carry so much love. You carry so much excitement about life. If that's what God's all about, where do I join? Wow. Session three, we talked about divine connection. And we began to understand that within this dance, connection is key. Going back, hearkening back to those, those dances, cultural dances, you, the, the Jewish circle dances come to mind. They want you to join. They want you to connect. And when you connect, it adds to the energy. It adds to the power of that dance. We also looked at this thought, and I, I have to share it because it's one of my favorite thoughts of our last session. God is not the removed one, but he is the most moved mover. I love that. Religion says he's the removed one. Relationship says he's the most moved mover. And so again, go back, watch those sessions, and now we're going to jump into session four right now, the power of the dance. We're going to start in John chapter five, verses that I'm sure most of us are familiar with. John chapter five, verse 19. Truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So again, we're talking about the power of the dance. And if that word dance bothers you, well then use the word relationship. The power of relationship. Because that is essentially what perichoresis is all about. The divine dance is talking about a level and a depth of relationship that most of us did not even entertain was something that God invited us to. You mean God wants this level of intimacy? Like we talked about last week, no, he, he wants this level of intimacy that he breathed you out. The, the intimate connection he wants with you is this intimate, exchanging breath with one another. You guys remember last, last week I was talking about CPR. That was the analogy that I came up that I thought most applied. You have someone desperate. They need air. And what do we do in that effort? We share air with them. God shared air with all of humanity. The moment he created a form and breathed into it the breath of life, he shared air with each one of us. That is the relationship. He is the air that we breathe. He is the song that we sing. And if you take it to its most beautiful and, and passionate conclusion, you will find that God participates in the breathing. You guys remember we talking about Yahweh. When you actually say the, na the name Yahweh, it's supposed to denote the act of breathing. So in other words, to say his name means that he has to help you breathe it out. 
That's the kind of intimacy that God has provided for each one of us. So then we get insight into that right here in John chapter 5. Jesus says, I don't do anything of my own accord, but only what I see the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. You continue along in that same train of thought, just a few verses down, John 5 verse 30. So between John 5:19 and 5:30, Jesus is still talking. This is the same train of thought. And look what he says here in verse 30. I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the power of the dance. The power of the dance is found in the relationship itself. Now that being said, it, it seems totally counterintuitive to how we measure power. You know, I, I, a show that I love, and, and, and I'm sure you guys, unless you're living under a rock, you, I'm sure you've seen at least part of it, but a show that I've loved and watched for years is called Pawn Stars, and they, they had this well-known pawn shop in Las Vegas, and, and now I, I, I'm in trouble. I found their page on Facebook, and they, they do these five-minute snippets, and I'll just, I'll, before long, I can watch 45 minutes of that, and, 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 and time doesn't even matter at that point, and, and so I'm, I'm studying this out. I'm studying the concept of power, and in this little five-minute segment today, this guy brought in what's called a two-handed, there's several names for it, but a two-handed German broadsword, and it was, it, was, it was forged in the 1600s, and the thing was almost six feet tall from the, the bottom of the hilt to the, the tip of the blade. And they're talking about the force of this tremendous sword. It was a frontline weapon. So basically, when guys would begin to charge, they would put the two-handed sword guys at the front line because when they hit the opposing force, they would cut people in half. They'd cut horses' legs in half. It's gruesome. It's terrifying. And I'm thinking about, you know what? That's how men measure power. We look at force. We look at the ability to... to um, to debilitate our adversary, to, what's the easiest way to decapitate? Yes, yes, now, now I'm showing people how powerful I am. That's not the kind of power God's talking about. <laughs> you see, our definition of power is always connected to might in some form, right? So when we think of the power to do something, it's connected to might, Usually, especially in the world of the macho men. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I think of the many times growing up, I was younger than a teenager. You're still, you want to prove how strong you are. You want to prove, well, I can do that. And how am I going to prove that I'm powerful enough to do it? I have to exert my might. And so whether that be jumping far or throwing a rock or, or breaking a stick, whatever it is, I must exert force. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm saying that's not what God's talking about, Okay. Our definition of power has to do with might in some form and usually applies to ruling over or gaining the victory over someone else. Have you noticed um, when you're by yourself, there's not a whole lot of conversations about winning. When you're alone, you don't have people trying to tell their big fish stories. Why? Because nobody cares. 
right? You just have to contemplate self at that point. And you realize that you're not even that impressed with your exploits. <laughs> so listen to this, but power within the Godhead is not about winning. Power within the Godhead is about mutual submission. Again, going back to what I said, the power of the dance is found in the relationship itself. Where did the power of Jesus come from? It came from the relationship. I don't do anything. I, I don't operate out of my own accord. I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. I don't do anything of my own. The power is the relationship itself. So what does perichoresis show us? It shows us that relationship is not about ruling over somebody else. It's about serving someone else. Oh, man, that's a bummer. Because where do I have my two-handed broadsword? Right? You, you find out quick, that's not how you serve others. Now you're going to have to lay that down. Actually, Scripture says something like this. You're going to take those things and you're going to beat them. Well, what am I going to beat the swords into? Plowshares. Plowshares? You mean I'm going to start farming? Well, is that just for me and my family? No, it's for your whole community. You're going to figure out how to lay down your weapons of war and create weapons of service. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, that's because we don't know each other relationally. Okay. So now let's talk about the signature of the relationship. Now, you guys bear with me. This next paragraph in these next few minutes it's going to feel kind of nerdy, and I felt kind of nerdy when I was putting it in the notes, but bear with me. It has a point, okay? So the signature of the relationship, we're going to talk about the atom, not Adam, the atom, A-T-O-M. Okay, so put on, your, put on your thinking caps. We're going to go back into grade school for a few minutes, but this is just something beautiful to ponder. The atom is the smallest unit into which matter can be divided without the release of electrically charged particles. It also is the smallest unit of matter that has the characteristic properties of a chemical element. In other words, chemistry has its foundations because of atoms. They are the foundation of all chemistry. As such, the atom is the basic building block of chemistry. The atom is made up of three parts. Protons, electrons, and neutrons. There is not as much in the way of energy or power within the single parts of an atom as there is in the motion of the particles within the atom. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we would not say, well, man, those protons are powerful. Those electrons are powerful. Those neutrons are powerful. No, the power is realized in their motion. If I can take some liberty here for our purposes, the power is found in the relationship between the protons, electrons, and neutrons. There is not, oh, I've read that part. There is power in motion. Said another way, there is power in the space, the movement, the dance, the relationship between the three parts. So why did I say at the start of this, I call this the signature of the relationship. I find it unique and not at all accidental that all things that exist, exist at this level at its foundation. 
This podium is made of atoms at its most basic form. Now, yes, it's got a wood top and it's got an iron base, but as building blocks of chemistry, right, we have to have something to make these reality, and you get down to what? Atoms. And you find out atoms are singular in name, but they have three parts in, re in their reality, in their composition, and that they're always moving. Isn't that amazing? So technically, you could say, even though this table's not moving, it is moving. There's motion going on. There's vibration. There's dance going on. Why? Because everything that God creates bears the signature of the relationship. Can you guys hear me right now? So everything that exists in some form or manner looks like who it came from. Another thing that's interesting, and we can't get into it all right now, but you begin to find out when you mess with the relationship of an atom, if you're not careful, it can cause great calamity. <laughs> because when you split an atom, then we start talking about something called nuclear fission. When you split an atom, it releases energy because you disrupt the flow. Now, you, you split enough of those, and you have what we call an atomic bomb or a nuclear reaction, and there's tremendous devastation. Now, I think that's worth mentioning at the very least for this, that you have to know, it's hard to deny that when you're in harmony with God, when you're in harmony with his plan and purpose, when, when you are one of those, he's ordering my stops, he's ordering my steps, I'm, I'm, we're in this relationally, we're exchanging breath, you have to admit there's something about the motion of that. There's something about it. It doesn't mean you won't have challenges. It doesn't mean you won't have setbacks. But you know that you are in motion. You are in unity with God. You also know when you are opposing the dance. You know when you are directly making decisions that go against what you know is the plan and purpose of God for your life. And if you say, well, what is the plan and purpose of God for my life? There are lots of places I could suggest that you start. But being in a prophetic house, I would say, well, go back and listen to some of the promises. The promises are signposts as to where he wants to take us. So if we're not careful, we start resisting the relationship. And then we have our own nuclear meltdowns. <laughs> and we say things, they're true enough to us. They're not true, but they're true enough to us. What do I mean by that? When we say things like, I feel like God is distant from me. Your feeling is true. There, that's no reality to that feeling. God cannot be away from us. You understand? There's never been a moment in your life where there's been any distance between you and God, ever. Even in your pre-saved state. Why? Because you still bear the mark of the relationship. Come on. The writer of Hebrews said God found you at the right time or you were lost in darkness and sin. So he came to you in your worst of the worst, your most embarrassed, your most downtrodden. And he was there. David said, I make my bed in Sheol, and you're there with me. Where can you go to hide from the relationship? Again, so much of our frustration and my frustration and the way I have frustrated the grace of God is by resisting the relationship, resisting the dance. You want to know the fastest way to do it? Hey, I think I'm going to, I got this. I'll do this on my own this time. Boom, instant resistance. 
And then what do we call it? We call it all kind of funny things. We're just using metaphors to try to figure it out. We'll say, man, I've, had a, I've been under attack this week. No, you've just been resisting the dance. Uh, I, I felt a lot of resistance. I feel like I'm in a dark place. See the things we call it? It's all the same thing, okay? So that being said, shift gears, we can each know and love God on at least three distinctly wonderful levels. Now this right here, man, this is, this is some intense stuff. And me just, the, the, the few minutes we're going to pay attention to this will not do it justice. There's actually, there, there's a whole book on this called the one, two, three of God. But these are three distinct ways we can love God. One is called the transpersonal level. What does that mean? Well, that's how we relate to God as Father. The transpersonal level is knowing God beyond the limits of our own personality. Knowing God beyond the limits of our own identity. In other words, have you ever had this sense that you know a God who is outside of you? It's okay. We, you can have that sense. He's not outside of you, but you can know him in that way. And that's something. Moses was able to interact with God outside of himself. God manifests as a burning bush. God put him in the cleft of the rock and he passed by. Moses saw these things, but yet God was still living on the inside. He knew him in a transpersonal level, and we all have that type of relationship from time to time. We can say it like this, well, God came and visited me. How does God come and visit someone that he is participating in the breathing? The way he visits you is you can yawn and God has visited you. Why? Because you exhale and you inhale and God is there in the moment. Right? The next level is perhaps our favorite level, and that's the personal level, and you know we have to give that to Jesus. After all, Jesus is so unique in how he ex was expressed within the Godhead that he took on flesh in physical form and brought us a manifestation of God, a tangible manifestation of God. So to know God at the personal level, and that is direct and unique individual knowing. That is the Jesus you know when you walk out of this building, get in your car, and you drive home. Jesus is there with you, and you know him intimately, and you know him personally. And get this, guys. Even though we know the same Jesus, we know him in different ways, right? Because Jesus talks to me. I am certain he talks to me in ways different than he talks to you. There are times where Jesus sounds kind of smart aleck to me, and that's just, this is the relationship we have. You guys Okay. I would venture to say, for most of you in here and most of you watching and listening, Jesus most of the time sounds like you. I'm not saying you're Jesus, don't get me wrong, I'm saying he sounds like you. The way to identify between when it's Jesus talking and when it's your imagination is based on what's being said. Jesus always speaks to our potential, he always speaks to our identity. When you're imagining something, and we could categorize it even as vain imagination sometimes, that's when you start feeding your, yourself a pity party, doubt, fear, all that, that is not born from the heart of God. So we have to recognize that, pull it down. And then finally, the impersonal level, and I don't know if I like that word, but I, for the purposes of what we're saying here, this is what we're going to go with, that is Holy Spirit. Now what do I mean by impersonal? It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to get to know you. It means the Holy Spirit cannot be known or related to as substance. Meaning I can't just say, well, there's the Holy Spirit, no, he can be a wind, he can be fire, he can be water, he can be smoke. He... 
I can't put him in a box. I can't make him behave. That's what I mean by we know God at an impersonal level. So he's outside of me. Are you guys hearing me? I know God outside of me. I know God inside of me. And I know God, and I'm not even sure what I know about him. I know at some point he moves this way. He moves that way. He directs me this way. He says, stop. He says, go. I, there's all kind of relationship going on. And this is why we must resist the ongoing temptation to objectify God. We talked about it in the last session. The problem with, with a lot of our experience with God is we objectify him. And when we objectify someone, we demean their value. Because when you objectify someone, it basically means I need you to serve this purpose. Right? And as soon, once you serve that purpose, then I don't need you once that purpose is served until I need that purpose served again. Many of us have treated God that way. And, and what we have failed to realize is God does not want to be objectified in that way. He wants to become the object of our affection. So he doesn't want us to come to him just because we need something. He wants us to come because we love him. And he, he's going to return the favor. God doesn't just want to use us. Isn't that something? Beyond anything, he wants to love you. And, and he does love you. It's not like it's a struggle for him. God loves you no matter what. So we have to resist that temptation. Another way of saying it, I put it here in the notes, we have to stop trying to make God behave. Because, again, I, I've studied Trinity before, I, you know, going through Bible school and all that. But this is one thing I began to find. We want to make God behave, so this is what we do. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God Holy Spirit. And then we start making our list. This is how the Father works. This is how the Son works. This is how the Holy Spirit works. And even though we would say, yes, he's three in one, they're one in three, we still want to compartmentalize. We want to make sure they behave. We, oh, oh, this, Jesus does this. I mean, Holy Spirit doesn't save you. Jesus does. Well, Jesus is Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit's not Father. He's the indwelling Spirit. No, Father is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is Father. I know it's tough, and we can't go far beyond that because our minds won't let us go there. But the dance, this is about such intimate relationship, you don't know where one stops and one starts. The motion doesn't allow you to, to capture a still image. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so we need to stop trying to make God behave. Can I give you an example of that as we close out? A tale of two powers. Matthew 26, man, I was not thinking about this at all, and I was just praying about this, getting ready for tonight, and, and this came up in my spirit. This is an example of trying to make God behave. Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 39. You guys know the story. I'll give you the backdrop. Jesus is going to pray. He brings his disciples with him. He's like, guys, this is a, I'm in a tough season. He even tells them, it's so tough, I feel like I'm going to die. Will you guys hang out with me for an hour? And they, they still couldn't. That's tough. And so he's, he's pressing in. He goes a little farther. He fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Come on, guys. There's power in the dance. Jesus' ability to endure the cross was not because of supernatural strength. It was due to supernatural relationship. You guys hear me right now. The power was the relationship. 
That's how he can say in the same breath, if it's possible, I don't want to do it, but if it's your will, count me in. Because he knew my power is in the relationship. So you continue along a few verses later, and we find out someone is trying to make God behave. Starting at verse 51, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. This is someone trying to make God behave. What do I mean by behave? I want to put him in a box. I want to put him in a place that I can understand the decisions he's making. Oftentimes, I want you to hear this. In our attempts to make God behave, we resort to violence because we don't understand power. So you go and you have to read Luke and you have to read John. You find out in John that the one who was with Jesus was Peter. No surprise, right? Then you find out in Luke, oh man, it brings this whole thing around in a very very beautiful way. We find out that Jesus heals the man. His name's Malchus. Puts his ear back on, basically. So look at this. Here's the power of the relationship in motion. Jesus has already said, you know what? Even though I don't want it, if it's your will, count me in. That, he's, that's the decision. That's what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to win. If we're going to use the word win, we're going to use it right. This is how I'm going to win. I'm going to win by giving my life. And then a religious spirit walks in. We can call him Peter. And he says, hey, you need to behave. I know how to take care of this business. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to give up your life. I will take this sword right here. I will use power as I identify it. And I will bring this to a swift end. And then he cuts off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus, in that moment, rebukes him, brings healing to Malchus. What's he? He's just flowing from the relationship. And then this final thought, Galatians 2.20. What does the relationship look like for us? Guys, it's, it's bigger than any of us think. It really is. It's greater than any of us think. It's more sure than any of us think. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. A lot of times we look at that word crucifixion and that's what we identify with. But what got Jesus on that cross was not his desire to die. It was his intimate relationship with the Godhead. That's what I just proved to you there in the garden. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't know about you guys, but that gives me some comfort that Jesus is willing to say, this is tough and I would rather not do it. Wow, Jesus said it. But what did he default to? The relationship. And you know what, man? I've, I've found so many times where I don't default to the relationship. I'm just like, God, how could, you want, how could you allow this to happen? Woe is me. This is terrible. Oh, Jesus, I don't want discomfort. I don't want chaos. I don't. And, and, I, and I forget the relationship so quickly. And then usually when I forget it, I, I, I bulk up, I'm going to flex, I'm going to 
It might cost somebody some pain here and some blood, but we're going to make this thing happen. And then Jesus, you know what he's doing? He, he does with me what he does with Peter. He walks right behind me and he's trying to heal the people I'm cutting at. Why? Because I forgot the power is in the relationship. So much so that I can claim Galatians 2. I was crucified with him. Come on, how deep is this relationship? It's so deep that he looks at you and says, oh, they were crucified with me. They weren't separate. They were with me in that moment. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. There's that exchange of breath. Yeah, you live. You cannot be identified for who you are. But we all know what's really driving the life behind you is the relational intimacy of God himself. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is trying to shout it out with a megaphone. This is about the relationship. He's won it all. We don't have to win. His power has gained the victory. The problem is we didn't know how to recognize the power. Because certainly, again, you can go back and, and you should go back and read uh, those verses there in John 5 and Matthew 26. I love when Jesus starts saying, I mean, you guys do know I could call down angels to, to come and, and save me. You, get, you know those verses I'm talking about? But you notice how Jesus very quickly just says that and keeps moving. Why? Because for him to call down angels to intervene would go against the relational intimacy of the Godhead. Why? Because he had already agreed with the Father. Not my will, yours be done. You guys hear me right now. What have you agreed to and it hasn't happened yet? Hmm. What promises of God have already been put in motion in your life and what's bugging the hell out of each one of us is why has it taken so long? Usually, listen for all of us, promises are not the issue. The results aren't the issue. It's the time between the promise and the result. And in that space of time, we become like Peter. You know what? I've got a sword in my hand, and I, kn I know the sword has results. And God keeps trying to notice, lean into the relationship. It's going to be okay. I, I mean, the promise is yes and amen. I mean, when I say it, it already has happened. But now you're just navigating this little thing called time. It's going to be okay. And so God gently reminds us, come on back. Lean into the relationship. This is where it all matters. This is where life truly makes sense. This is where, you know, remember we are talking about the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is the, the lit. He's the life force of all creation. I know that sounds new age at the moment, but I don't know how else to say it. He, he gives us the ability to experience the ecstasy of what it is to have God living on the inside of us. And so again, that's why so often we need to be reminded when we're going through hardship, when we're going through trial, first of all, understand we're not going at it alone. There's a relationship driving us. But then the other thing is stop always trying to go outside of ourselves to find the answer and go back within. There's more on the inside of us than there is on the outside of us. The promises of God are yes and amen. If his, if his lips are moving, if his mouth is moving, you know the truth is there and you can take it to the bank. That being said, and I'm done, I, I've got to be done. That being said, 
look at how beautiful it is that God gives us the unique capacity to ever extend the boundaries of relationship. Meaning what? We can include more people. You had the ability to include more people in the dance. You had the ability to connect with more people. And there were other verses I had. There were other examples I had. The one I thought of, isn't it interesting? One of us can put 1,000 a flight to 10,000. In Deuteronomy and Joshua, you, find, you, you can actually route the adversary with just two of us gathered together. And we talk about, well, that's centripetal force. It's the power of unity. If you really want to get back to it, it's showing us the power of relationship. So that's why it boggles my mind. And, and if, if I'm not careful, I'm going to just make a soapbox and stand on it for the next month. That's why we have to get over this thought that I can do it on my own. It's, you weren't born for that, you weren't created for that, and you will fail if that is how you want to live life. You say, well, it's just me and God. Well, that's true, but I'm here too. For some reason, God created me too. I, I don't think he made a mistake, and, and he created OT, and he created Flora. So obviously, there is the ability for you to increase, increase your circle, increase your relationships. So we gotta, we got to work at this. And actually, it, it's, it's interesting, even saying work doesn't sound right. It's more like resting in it. Resting in it. Stop trying to make this thing happen and just go with the flow. And that's the only way we're going to tap into the power of the dance, the power of relationship. Lay down your arms, lay down your desire to exert force and might, and understand the true power any of us walk in is the power of the relationship. Lord, we just thank you for the relationship. We thank you for the power of relationship. Born within this relationship, if we just go and we can begin to catalog the miracles, let's just start with the miracles of Jesus. Going back to this John thought, I don't do anything unless I foresee the Father do it. So you, you realize every single miracle that Jesus ever performed was born out of the relational intimacy of the Godhead. In other words, it was not about Jesus deciding who he would and would not heal. It was born out of relationship. Every demonstration of power that we assign to Jesus was born out of relationship. And isn't it interesting? There are so many today, so many Lone Rangers. Have business card, will travel. Have business card, I will revival. The one-man show, call me in and I'll call down fire from heaven. Yeah, you know what? I, I think that um, God has a better model, a, a, a relationally intimate model where we share life together, where we bear one another's burdens. Yes, there are the moments for the miraculous, but it's, it's interesting. There's also moments where we can endure trial. We can endure hardship with joy. Because the relationship gives us that kind of power and strength. I hope that I'm articulating it the way that is in my heart. But, but part of what I'm also trying to say is this. I am acutely aware that I need the people around me. <laughs> I know, I know. I. There are times I wish it was just Matthew and God and that would just make everything okay. But no, ah, I need the people around me. 
you have something I need. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to commit to the relational journey. Help us to commit to perichoresis. Help us to understand that this journey that we are taking through life in you, we are not doing it alone, and we won't do it alone. I, I just won't do it. I won't do it by myself. I can't do it by myself. Lord, I just thank you that in this, that, that that place, we didn't talk about it enough tonight about mutual submission. It's not about ruling over others. It's about serving others. Lord, help us to see that force in the kingdom of God is the antithesis of force in the natural. Where I, where I would seek to put my, my foot on the neck of my enemy, in the kingdom of God, it's to wash the feet of my enemy. Where in the natural, it's, it's, to, it's to win through my physical prowess or my, my intellectual, my ability to intellectually devastate someone in the kingdom of God. It's about building up. It's about blessing those who persecute. How does this make sense? Because I understand the power is born out of the relationship. So Lord, help us. Help us in this journey. We need all the help we can get. Lord, I just thank you for all these things. Now I decree them by faith in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for being a part of this. I know it, it, we labored here a little bit, but I believe it was good. I believe it, it was a blessing for you. Do me a favor, like and share this so that other people can be blessed as a result. And uh, we will see you next week. We're going to have at least one more session in this series, if not more, but at least one more. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next time.